if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is now underway at 10 minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday, the 28th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord 2020. And as it is uh, a Tuesday, you know what that means. It is Kersenau Day rather here uh, on the Bob France Authority. Peter Kersenau is a Cleveland attorney, a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, a best-selling author, the host of the Kersenau Report, and a columnist for the National Review, among other things. Peter Good to have you back, my friend. How are you? Great to be back. Uh, you know, the um, the weather's better. I thought we were going to be beginning some sports, but it looks like that may get uh, cut off. And I'm not going to be counting out, uh, doing the countdown as I usually do to football or even the beginning of uh, baseball's already begun because um, I'm I'm not really enthused about it. I haven't watched any baseball. That's not true. I watched uh, maybe a minute of the Indians' first game. I, I probably tuned in about third or fourth inning just to see what was going on, and then I had enough of that. So um, I may be sports-free for the rest of the years if this continues on its current path. Yeah, you and me both, and that is the worst thing in the world because we have all been begging for sports to come back to take our minds off of all of the negativity of the virus and the economy and people losing their jobs and then the violence going on around. We wanted to be able to escape into our fantasy world, which is what sports used to provide us, and now we cannot because... Because it is a woke sports world in which BLM is on the mound as we watch every pitch. It's on the outfield walls. It's going to be on the floor of the NBA. It's going to be on the back of the helmets of the players in the National Football League. And Pete, I'm with you, man. I, I'm really, really sad, I guess, as much as anything else. I'm sad and I'm angry, probably more sad that I'm not going to be able to enjoy the sports that I used to love. I started my career in sports radio, for crying out loud. Uh, you know, it's all I did. I lived and breathed sports for 50 years. And, uh, and now I'm turning it off because I, if I want politics, I'll turn on, uh, you know, political news networks. If I want sports, right. I thought I could turn on sports networks, but I was wrong. They, they've crossed over. All right. Uh, Pete, let's dive into the violence part of this. Now, you wrote a great piece. Actually, you wrote two pieces back to back when the second of which was rather entertaining, uh, as you did a little bit of a, of a Lewis uh, send up. But, uh, but let's talk about the first one and let's talk about systemic racism. Uh, the Indians, since you brought that up, uh, did a little thing. They didn't kneel during the national anthem. What they are doing is kneeling before the national anthem. Both 
the baselines holding a, uh, a long black ribbon, which is a tribute to Black Lives Matter and a call to end racism. And, of course, those two things can't really coexist. Black Lives Matter exists as a racist organization looking to perpetuate the divide between the races. Um, so, so let's talk about systemic racism and what it really means. Because, again, this is what you wrote about uh, the first piece last week that you wrote about, and I was so glad to, to be able to read this, the systemic racism canard. Let's, let's address that from, its, from uh, its, its title. What is systemic about race? Are there racists in America? Sure. There are racists all around the world, and they come in all colors, by the way. But what is it in this United, these United States that makes it systemic in the mind of those who believe it, Pete? Well, I cannot speak for how it got into the minds of those who believe it, other than they're just being constantly uh, peppered with it, constantly, systemic racism, institutional racism. But what are they um, saying it is? What well, are they saying that, is systemic about it? What they're saying is that the systems in place, where, whether it's the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. the educational system, are so imbued with racism, they are structured in a way that favors whites, disfavors blacks, and to a lesser extent, Hispanics. Uh, they never talk about Asians, of course. Uh, but the, the manner in which it's, it's structured, its systems, tests that may be set up in terms of entry tests or promotional uh, tests or the things that allow you to advance in a particular institution through a certain system are skewed or biased against blacks in profound ways. That includes the criminal justice system also. So almost everything, employment, criminal justice, schools, are innately biased to the disadvantage of blacks. And the argument is, or at least I'm not sure that you hear too many people overtly arguing this, except for, for example, some of the individuals who promote the 1619 Project, which is one of the greatest scams ever perpetrated, but one of the most dangerous scams ever perpetrated on the American people. But the idea is that America is indelibly stained with racism, that the systems are so skewed that blacks cannot advance and are, are always at a disadvantage and as you indicated, it is pretty clear that there are racists in a country of 330 million. There are white racists, black racists, Hispanic racists, there are all kinds of racists. Um, there's no evidence that one group is more racist than another, although there's some polling data that suggests that, you know, there are certain elements that are more racist than others. But nonetheless, the idea of systemic and overarching type of racism is completely and utterly false and has been for quite some time. There was systemic racism in the United States, pretty severe and entrenched uh, in invidious systemic racism for a significant portion of our history. But over the last 50 to 60 years, that's not been the case. And as I say in the piece, if you just... Are, take a fair look at the evidence. If there there is systemic racism, um, and I go into the reasons for it, but it goes in in a direction opposite of that contended by those who are constantly intoning systemic or institutional racism. By that I mean, over the last fifty or sixty years, and I'll just give you a couple of examples. And I think everybody knows this. And as I, I say in the piece, I think everybody knows this. And everyone understands that the idea of systemic racism uh, against blacks in in the main, 99% of it is a complete and utter lie, not just a falsehood, a lie, because people know it's a lie. They can see with their own eyes how 
the, to a large extent, the left has taken any disparity in outcome and equated that with racism. But you can see what's happening here. The fact is, over the last 50 to 60 years, look at our educational institutions. Um, this is a fact, despite the fact that you hardly ever hear it in the media or from most of our politicians, and that is, in almost every educational setting, but definitely at the collegiate setting, blacks are significantly favored in terms of admissions and also once in the kind of expectations, but mainly in admissions, over their white and Asian comparatives. And it's not by a small amount. For the last 50 to 60 years, institutions have favored blacks over similarly situated white and Asian comparatives by a factor, in some cases, of 501. In fact, there's one study that shows some institutions, a, um, you could take two individuals who are, for example, applying to your average college, one black, one, one white, have the same SATs, same grade point average, same extracurriculars, and the black applicant is 700 times more likely to be admitted over his white comparative. Um, this has been going on for 50 or 60 years. Uh, it was benignly termed at one point affirmative action. I've always referred to it in its most, uh, I think, descriptive way, and that is racial preferences. But in any event, that goes on. And then once there, once at these academic institutions, there is a racist expectation, lowered expectation for blacks that harms blacks. And there's this ghettoization that occurs where blacks are shunted off. And I don't mean to say this by force or anything, but there, there is a subtle pressure. There is an encouragement to blacks to go into certain types of disciplines. Um, and and it's, it's just it's horrendous. In addition to that, there's the mismatch outcome where... You know, Rick Sander, for example, professor, law professor, um, who had done a study of admissions in different law schools, showed that black law students are several times more likely to flunk out of law school, uh, several times more likely to be, with their, their grade point averages, to be in the do- bottom 20% of their respective classes, and up to four times more likely to pass the bar exam, uh, to flunk the bar exam. And I don't remember what the factor was with respect to never, never passing the bar exam, but this doesn't do anybody any favors. The overarching point, Bob, is that because of all of the systems that are in place, and I list them in the article, just some of them, you know, the, the laws that have been in place for 50, 60 years, all of the mechanisms to ensure that there is no systemic racism against minorities, all those things have been around for a long time, and we are being subjected to this overarching lie, which is fueling much of what we're seeing today. These lies are not only fueling riots, they're fueling political change, which is the ultimate aim, by the way, um, but they're also fueling false prescriptions or false solutions that will end up doing harm. And I'll just give you one example, and I know I'm going very quickly and in generalizations, But if you maintain that systemic racism is the cause for black underachievement in schools um, or systemic racism accounts for the fact that blacks are far more likely to be suspended or expelled from schools, what you will do is precisely what the Obama administration did, and that is to install the effective equivalent of quotas in school discipline. And we held uh, a far-ranging hearing on this at the Civil Rights Commission. 
the, they wanted to impose these quotas, so what happened is fewer blacks were suspended, so it would be proportional to white suspensions, and violence within the schools, mainly <laughs> black schools, skyrocketed as a result. Of course it did, and that's so predictable. That is exa- And the same thing would happen in society, and that's what many are trying to do, quota, use quotas in terms of imprisonment, and once the uh, African-American quota has been met, nobody else gets to be thrown in prison. What do you think is going to happen in the communities, particularly in the black communities where black people are victimized when that happens? Um, Pete, I want to talk more about the academic part of this that you just referenced, two universities in particular practicing wanton racism masked by support for African-Americans. People wonder how that can be. It can be. And I'll get your reaction to that next on AM 1420, The Answer. Now heard through downtown, through greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM, it's the Bob France Authority. All right, 1026, back with uh, Peter Kirsten out now. Pete, this is a short segment. If you want to run this one over into the uh, into the next one past the news, that's okay, because there's two stories I want to bring up in uh, with respect to the uh, academic uh, portion of what you described with systemic racism. Rutgers University has decided to help blacks, and in the process of doing so, they have expressed an extraordinary deep-seated racism because apparently they don't think blacks are capable of uh, conversing in written or in uh, verbal form proper grammar. So the English department at, the, at Rutgers University has decided uh, that it will change its standards of English instruction in an effort to, quote, stand with and respond, end quote, to the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, in other words, they are going to emphasize social justice and, quote, critical grammar. In other words, speaking like... Uh, in what used to be termed Ebonics. Uh, they're going to allow quote-unquote black dialect to replace actual proper grammar and English dialect. This approach challenges the familiar dogma that writing instruction should limit emphasis on grammar sentence-level issues so as not to put students from multilingual, non-standard academic English backgrounds at a disadvantage. Instead, it encourages students to develop a critical awareness of the variety of choices available to them with regard to micro-level issues in order to empower them and equip them to push against biases based on written accents. So in other words, standard English and grammar is racist. And it will not be, uh, it will not be used. The second one is from the University of Washington. Let's go about 3,000 miles in the other direction. Uh, at the University of Washington, students are demanding that black students not be graded as harshly as students. They should not face difficult exams and time constraints on their exams because they are, quote, too busy fighting for their rights to sit down and study. So the wokeness here, Peter, is off the charts, but the racism is what I submit is off the charts. They're saying that blacks can't study as well as whites can, and that blacks can't speak if they put their minds to it as well as whites can, so we're not going to make them. We're going to let them speak in whatever dialect, whatever street lingo, whatever ebonics lingo, whatever you want to call it that they wish, uh, because they're just not as capable as whites of doing things. Go ahead. Yeah, if you wanted to find the essence of racism, that is it. And I've been arguing, and many others have for decades, that if you're looking for any racism in America, you'll find it chiefly on the left. And this does nothing but damage to 
uh, black students, the black community in general, the lowering of expectations. Clearly, when white students who, you know, are in classes with black students who are flunking out, it just reinforces a stereotype. This is, it's, it's incredible the kind of racism spewing from our university system and school systems these days under the aegis of diversity and inclusion, the backhanded type of insult. But it doesn't stop with respect to Rutgers and Washington, and there are others. But you can get now an English degree at major institutions without ever having touched a single syllable or read a single syllable of Shakespeare. Instead, what they do is they thrust in your face these mediocre authors, mediocre authors uh, who are diverse and are shoving it down your throat as if it has some relevancy. There's no original thought in it. The elocution is horrible. There's no instructional value into how to express things in an elegant way or in an informative way. It It is just a tragedy what's going on here. We're dumbing down everything, and you probably are familiar. If I know you, Bob, you probably touched upon this, and if you didn't, I'm sure you will, is the exhibit that had been up at the Smithsonian up until last week. Oh, yeah. That, that, I mean, it's extraordinary. <laughs> it, it, this is almost as if David Duke had written it. Uh, and yet, this is what it, you know, this has gone 360 now, or maybe it's not 360, it's 360, maybe it's 180. But in any event, all of these woke people, I don't know if they fully appreciate, if they have any sense of self-awareness, the, the intuitive racism that is enmeshed throughout everything they're doing, but it hurts everybody. Not only does it hurt blacks, but it's going to hurt the entire society, because what happens is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If black students are going to Rutgers or any other school, and the standards for blacks are being dumbed down, well, reality is harsh. Once, if they do graduate, which they likely will at some point, even though the graduation rates, as I just indicated, are far lower because of this this lowering of standards for black students, when they do graduate, the harsh reality of the world is going to intrude, and they're not going to be able to succeed as well on the job because they've been poorly prepared, and then what does that do? That reinforces the whole idea of racism because the blacks who are graduating from these mediocre programs, these programs that are catering to them, are going to be right. flunking out or, or not being able to succeed in life. And then that's going to be ascribed to racism. This is one of those things where the left can't lose because everything they are doing is continuing to perpetuate substandard performance on the part of blacks in a whole host of areas, and they can attribute it to racism. Peter Kirsten now joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. More of Pete coming up after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, 
The Answer. All right, we continue now at 1037, and Peter Kirsten now stays with us for one more segment. Uh, AM 1420, The Answer. We're talking about systemic racism in America as charged by the American left, usually uh, white leftists who are the most racist among us. Um, and now we're going to pivot a little bit more specifically to the 1619 Project, the historically flawed 1619 Project, the some might say, if you're more cynical like me, the fictional 1619 Project, because that's pretty much what it is. Um, Senator Tom Cotton, Peter, uh, who is, I know somebody that you're close with, um, is in some hot water today uh, because of something that actually hit social media yesterday in an interview about a bill of his um, that targeted the 1619 Project. Essentially, he is trying to stop schools from making the 1619 Project mandatory curricula uh, across this country because of its inherent um, historical inaccuracies. Well, Pete, he is being called a racist now who felt like slavery was necessary because of one of the comments he made in the interview with the uh, um, Arkansas Democrat Gazette. He said, quote, we have to study the history of slavery and its role and impact on the development of our country, because otherwise we can't understand our country. As the founding fathers said, it was the necessary evil upon which the Union was built. But the Union was built in a way, as Lincoln said, to put slavery on the course to its ultimate extinction, end quote. Pete, um, the left particularly Twitter, which you're smart enough to not be on, has seized upon the one word, necessary, and of course are dragging him, saying, no, it was not a necessary evil, it was just evil. The idea that it was necessary is essentially legitimizing it and condoning it uh, as an institution. And they say that it actually reinforces the 1619 Project's contention that this country was actually founded in 1619 when the first slaves arrived in Virginia, because it was necessary to the building of the country. Um, Your response, Pete? Yeah, um, first of all, for your listeners, um, I haven't read the Tom Cotton piece, so take that with a grain of salt, and I'm normally reluctant to comment on things that I've not read because everything needs to be read, even the, the commas and the hyphens and the you know ampersands, in order to understand what's going on. However, I've been on this earth for a long time, and I understand how the left approaches things, and I know Tom Cotton, who is smarter than anybody who's ever commented about Tom Cotton. Uh, and I know my history. I am, based on what you just described, um, again, take this with a grain of salt, but I am 99.9999999% certain that what he was describing in terms of unnecessary evil was, number one, he was talking about what the founding fathers believed, but because these idiots want to get Tom Cotton, and or, number two, they're not smart enough to get Tom Cotton, they are seizing upon necessary as a, as a quote or an attribution to the Founding Fathers. And what they meant most likely, what Tom Cotton meant most likely about that, because anybody with his smarts understands the history as opposed to these idiots, uh, and I hate to say that, uh, I shouldn't be that pejorative, but nonetheless, they're being mendacious about this. What the Founding Fathers, the best way of describing it is what Abraham Lincoln said in one of the Lincoln-Douglas debates when asked about the expansion of slavery into the territories. Okay, Missouri, Kansas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, where there has already been slavery, the idea was, would you eliminate it? Would you root it out? And Lincoln said, and I'm paraphrasing, that 
He said, well, if a father sees a viper in the cradle of an infant, should he seize it and pull it out? Or just very carefully, maybe wait it out until such time as the, the and, and I'm paraphrasing again, the, the viper slithers out because to seize it and rip it out may cause the viper to strike at the child and kill it. And he meant the same thing about slavery. That is that we want to get rid of it, okay? It's viewed as, and they are doing it in a colloquial sense, they're saying a necessary evil, which, by the way, the 1619 Project maintains that slavery was the, the economic foundation for the country, which every historian, and believe me, the 1619 Project has nothing to do with history. Almost every historian, let me put it that way, credible historian at least, says that slavery actually retarded the economic advancement of the South relative to the North. It was not a necessary evil, but it was an evil that had been existing for a while. As your listeners also know, slavery was not a, a, an institution peculiar to the United States. In fact, the United States is the only country that fought a war to end slavery. Slavery was far more prevalent in almost every other corner of the world in every era of history. This idea that somehow slavery is unique to the United States, and the United States, as you've properly said, is the greatest country in the history of civilization. The United States, the reason why it's so big and and uh, a, a huge evil when, in, when considered in the context of the United States of America is because the United States of America is the greatest country in the history of the world. Um, your, your suspicion is correct, uh, Pete, on, on what he was saying. Um, and in fact, that can, be, that can be illustrated a little bit in the next line, at least in the way the, the, uh, the order that they placed the quotes in this interview with the Arkansas, Arkansas uh, Democrat Gazette. Um, Tom Cotton's, uh, hold on, I seem to have misplaced my, uh, my article here because I wanted to ask you about another question about the 1619 project. Um, and doggone it, I can't find it now, but essentially what he said was with respect to, um, viewing the, the institution of slavery as the necessary evil to getting this country to become what it is, which is a land in which everyone is, uh, everyone's freedom is guaranteed. He said that we need to view this from through this lens, that the United States, rather than being a horrible, uh, uh, irredeemable uh, uh, bastion of hatred and racism, that the United States should be viewed as the greatest nation in the history of civilization, that was flawed and worked very hard. And I'm paraphrasing here because I can't seem to find my article. Um, that, uh, but, but a flawed nation. Recognize the flaws. Identify them. Teach to them. But teach that we overcame them and became what we are today, rather than viewing it as uh, a country that was founded upon and thus has existed upon the idea of systemic racism and systemic systemic injustice toward people of color ever since. Yeah, Bob, this is why this move to introduce the 1619 Project into curricula all over the United States, and it is a heartbeat, half a heartbeat away from being done in the state of Ohio. The skids have already been greased to introduce it in the last state board of education meeting to introduce it. This is a toxic, corrosive uh, curriculum. It is something that just yesterday, its organizer, uh, Hannah Nicole um, 
uh, gosh, I can't remember her name. Nicole, now. Nicole uh, Hannah-Jones. Nicole Hannah-Jones, correctly, yes. tweeted that she admitted it's not history. It's an argument. In other words, they're trying to push a narrative. It's propaganda, in other words, what we have been saying all along. When every prominent historian who knows this stuff inside out, that spent decades on this issue, says this is not just a joke, this is dangerous, it's wrong, it is a polemic, it has nothing to do with history, they get a lot wrong in it, but the point is this is not about history. This is an attempt to make everyone believe that the United States is irredeemably racist. It was so flawed at the beginning that the only way of remedying it is to pull out root and branch its foundation, meaning the Constitution, all of our founding principles. This is an attempt, which this sounds almost conspiratorial, and it is. This is an overt, the most overt and transparent attempt I have ever seen to try to upset the narrative of the United States of America so that the United States as we see it can be replaced by the left's vision. If the United States is evil and horrible and you teach everybody that that is in fact the case, then of course it's justified to change that system, whether it's a capitalist system, a uh, democratic republic, whatever it may be. And we are seeing some of the fruits of the left's labors over decades to inculcate into the American people through the school systems that the United States is awful, that the United States is just covered with systemic racism. And as such, being so flawed, it must be overthrown or the system should be overthrown and replaced with socialist systems, for example, and systems where free speech is optional. It depends on whether or not you're on the left and saying approved things by the left. So again, everyone in your audience, a little bit of, I'll do a little bit of proselytizing here. I know your audience is fully aware of the 1619 Project. You and I have been talking about it. You've been talking about it. But this is something that merits the attention, if I may be so, so bold, as to suggest to everybody, this is something, if anything merits your attention, this is it. If, this, if there's anything that causes you to call an elected representative or to speak out at a meeting, uh, even of your friends, to let them know, this is it, because this is the masterstroke on the part of the left to fundamentally, as Obama would say, fundamentally transform America. That is very, that's very well said. That is exactly what he said, and that's what Joe Biden has embraced, by the way, that same message uh, which he has said. And I don't want to get to the politics of the election uh, just, just now. I want to follow up and put a cap on the Cotton part of this discussion. Tom Cotton um, this is what his bill would do. His his proposal would be essentially to remove federal funding from any school districts that embrace the 1619 Project uh, curricula. Um, if Cotton's legislation passes, school districts embrace the curriculum, would no longer qualify for federal professional developmental funds, money that is intended to improve teacher quality. Cotton said, quote, curriculum is a matter for local decisions. And if local left-wing school boards want to fill their children's heads with anti-American rot, that is their regrettable choice. But they ought not to benefit from federal tax dollars to teach America's children to hate America. Uh, and, and essentially, if you are teaching America's school children that this country was founded on hatred for Africans, so much so that they wanted to enslave them and to build its, uh, uh, you know, its economy and its, and to expand and to, and to grow on the backs of slaves, if you really want to teach children, American children that that's what their country is, you are teaching them to hate the country. 
because there's no way to to embrace and support a country in those terms and in under those circumstances and that's exactly what the 1619 project intends to do yeah congratulations to tom cotton one of the few senators who gets it um the guy is smart he's an american first he understands the the what's at stake here and i can't emphasize it enough this is on the verge and it could happen as soon as this september this is on the verge of being implemented in schools throughout the state of Ohio. It's already being done in some other locations, other jurisdictions, but it's on the verge. If you're going to spend any time on any political activity whatsoever, if you have five minutes to devote to any kind of policy issue, this, I would humbly suggest, is that issue. I'm involved in a lot of stuff. I do a lot of different things with respect to the Civil Rights Commission, but there's never been anything more important. And here's another thing I will say to you, which is not an exaggeration. Because we so poorly teach history in this country, not just with respect to the founding and slavery, etc., but also with respect to our relationships related to communism, the Soviet Union, it is the fact that the KGB for a long time, the Soviet Union for a long time, tried to sow the seeds of division in the United States of America by using as an avatar, by using as the the inflection point, racism in America, trying to exploit uh, discrimination in the United States of America. They did so in the 40s, 50s, 60s. It's clear, you look at the Venona Cables and others after the Soviet Union fell, where you can see what they were trying to do. And that continues to this day, except it's not being done by the Soviet Union. It's being done by those who wish to change the United States here in the United States. And the 1619 Project is their gold standard. This is the way they're going to be able to attempt to do it. They look at the long game, but this will make that long game much, much shorter. It won't take long, but more importantly, you don't want your kids, grandkids, nephews, nieces to have this bilge in their brains. I can't say that strongly enough. Peter Kersenow joining us uh, on AM 1420. The answer, there is hope, and it's coming in the form of some alert and aware parents. And they are alert and aware of the dangers being posed by this type of curricula that you are describing right now, Pete. I'm going to share that with you and get your last thoughts on it in our next segment, our final segment, a short segment on AM 1420. The answer. Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. Yeah, I'm glad to hear Larry Elder in that little promo there. A reminder, Uncle Tom, you can view it right now at UncleTom.com and save 20% off the promo, uh, off the price rather with the promo code CLEVELAND. Go to UncleTom.com right now and see why Democrats are terrified to have you view this movie. It's a story they do not want you to see told by people they don't want you to hear. And save 20% right now using the promo code Cleveland at UncleTom.com. Peter Kersenow, uh continuing with us uh, all the way to the end here. He is, uh, Pete, I, I just want to share this with you because I, I said at the, be- or at the uh, uh, going into the break there that there's a little bit of hope here. In California, they're going beyond just the quote-unquote 1619 Project curriculum. They are talking about Black Lives Matter curriculum. 
And it is, uh, it is amazing. There's an article on Red State that I shared with you, and you can read it at your leisure. Uh, but California School Board facing the ire of parents after teacher, one teacher, went public with what they are planning for the curriculum. And it is union-backed BLM, Black Lives Matter curriculum. And it includes, pizza. I mean, there's way too much to get into right now, but it includes a glossary of terms that children will be taught about um, uh, in California schools, including decolonization, racism, whiteness, white fragility, white privilege, white savior complex, white supremacy, etc. Pete, I, I, not that anybody cares about little white kids, because that's, uh, you know, that's passe, but how, can you imagine how can a white kid go to a school where the entire curriculum all day long is spent telling them how evil they and their ancestors are? That's exactly yeah. what this does, and I cannot possibly imagine how anybody of any color would be okay with the demonization of one race the way they are intentionally demonizing the white race in these public schools. Yeah, um, I will be in, involved in that. But um, let me say something. It's not just about the white kids. For black audience members out there, um, anyone who thinks that this is somehow a good thing, don't be seduced because of maybe some anger, some irritation, some aggravation, some sense of that you've been discriminated against in the past. Most blacks have had that feeling at some point, and in many cases, it was legitimate. But don't allow those feelings to translate into support for the 1619 Project, because it's a prescription for further black failure. If you want blacks to succeed, this is the thing that will ensure blacks are going to be second-class citizens for another generation at bare minimum. It, it, you know, it will stoke more anger, resentment, chip on the shoulder, entitlement kind of uh, approach to some, for some of these students that is anathema to succeeding. And like the S- Smithsonian Project saying that things such as punctuality, working hard, precision, and a whole host of other positive attributes are actually white attributes, not black attributes. David Duke could not have written something more pernicious and toxic to black success and the 1619 project is if, if david duke or and i don't mean to use david duke but think of some amorphous some some clansman some nazi out there who Robert wants blacks to fail who, yeah, whoever it may be if that person got a hold of some magic project that he could introduce into a school curriculum it would be the 1619 project and what you set out with what's happening in california is something that's happening in other jurisdictions also where there's this first of all there's adoption of the lie of systemic racism and then a lot of woke people because they're either ignorant of it or they are are very knowledgeable about what they're doing and they're very strategic in what they're attempting to doing is perpetuating this lie and hurting almost all Americans in the process. This is something I, I again I've been been going on about this, but it, it merits it. It merits saying this a million times over because it's not unique to California. The Black Lives Matter type of curriculum is being introduced very subtly sometimes and sometimes overtly because now they think, hey, this is our time, into a lot of other jurisdictions. I am not sure of this in Ohio. I have not seen it yet in Ohio. But there are similarities to what that type of curriculum is being um, uh, 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 created in, in California in other jurisdictions, too. So be aware, be vigilant. Do something about it. If you're going to do anything, if you're staying at home because DeWine's telling you to stay at home, 
take five minutes, call a representative, even if you don't know who it is. Call your mayor, even if he doesn't have any jurisdiction over it. Call somebody and say, no 1619 project on my watch. Great, great way to close the show. Peter Kersen on a great message. Thank you for what you do. And I know you're going to be involved in trying to stop the state of Ohio uh, Board of Education from implementing this as well, if we can uh, push that back to October. Uh, Peter Kersen, thank you, my friend. God bless. Thanks to everybody for listening. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence.